Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. One of the things that really concerns me, is, sadly, is the growth of, of secularism, in, particularly in our, our Western countries, where we've had a, a Christian um, history and uh, the gospel has been preached and people are turning away from the gospel. And I think uh, there's probably you know, many reasons for this. It's, it's multifactorial. But I think one of the um, main contributing reasons has certainly been the, this whole concept of long ages for the earth, long ages for the universe. The universe has always been here um, and, uh, you know, and that the biblical account um, is sort of just not relevant anymore. It's a, it's a myth, uh, these sort of things. But when we really look at the documents that we have for, for the Bible, the books that were written and, and preserved, the scrolls, the, the history, um, when in terms of history... Um, you know, the Old Testament uh, lines up with, you know, secular uh, historical records, you know, very well, particularly from about, you know, 600 BC onwards, uh, where we have, you know, quite accurate, his, well, reasonably accurate historical records. And when we look at the account of, of Jesus, who art- articulated quite clearly that he was God in incarnate and performed miracles to to prove this, you know, raising the dead, healing blind people, healing, you know, crippled people. And these were public healings. They were recorded. They were witnessed. Um, they were sort of very clear. These these miracles that he performed were were very clear. His his crucifixion was a was a public event, and Romans were very efficient in in killing people. That they had a lot of experience doing that. We know that Jesus was physically nailed to the cross after being scourged, uh, you know, whipped and 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 bleeding, suffered uh, terrific torture that way. He's and the Romans then confirmed that he was dead by piercing his side with a with a spear. There was no way Jesus could have uh, been been alive, um, and yet he appeared afterwards to his disciples, who then went off and changed the world. But he also appeared to other people, such as Paul, later on as well. Now, again, we have this whole concept of you know how can a material person you know appear here and appear appear there, but when we look to understand the reality that we live in. And I, I've explained this, you know, before that we are largely energy fields. The amount of matter, actual physical dense matter in us is, is very small. And I think this is illustrated if we look, you know, the, the, if we look at your classical uh, chemistry textbook examples of if we look at the nucleus of an atom, if we had the nucleus of an atom, the solid matter of the atom was the size of a golf ball. The um, outer electrons, the outer diameter of the atom is about four kilometres away. And so all this is empty space. If you can imagine matter as these golf balls that are sort of, you know, eight to ten kilometres apart um, with uh, bonding, or, you know, maybe six to you know, ten kilometres apart and more, there's a, there's a huge amount of 
empty space and matter and we're energy fields. Then the other issue that we have is that, um, and, well, and just going back to that point, and yet we perceive everything as being solid, you know. So I'm in this recording studio here. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there. The desk is solid. I can't push my hand through the desk. And that's because the interaction of these force fields. And... Um, um, but yet it and it appears to us to be solid because again we visualize things as a result of photons which are pieces of electromagnetic radiation parcels of these that enter our eyes and interact with our mind and in our in our mind we see see things and and we have this visual picture um, and I'm choosing to talk to make uh, the, say these things now um, I don't believe that I've been programmed to do this. I've made a decision what I'm going to talk about. I've thought about things. And this is in my mind. And while we can weigh my brain, I can't weigh my thoughts. My thoughts are non-material. And this is a whole challenge to thought, to, uh, to science. What are thoughts? You know, this, this non-material world, which again is this of this spiritual connection. And that's what God said. God said, you know, he, he is spirit. And Jesus talked about how he existed before the world was, was made and, and so forth. Now, people say, oh, well, you know, this is all sort of, you know, religious um, stuff. But the evidence is there that people witness this. People witness Jesus' miracles. People witness Jesus' death. People witness Jesus' resurrection. And uh, the people he appeared to after me. That saw, and those people, as a result of that, went off and changed the world. They preached the, the gospel. And the gospel is a very important message that was preached. And that is that we were meant to live eternally, that God made us in his image to interact. So the creator of the universe, the creator of these amazing living systems that I've talked about many times and the components of plants and animals, the structure of the universe. And there's so much evidence of an intelligent design behind just the laws of physics themselves, the laws of mathematics, logic, um, the um, the whole concept of language, the whole concept of uh, the DNA coding that's uh, uh, and the, in the structures and the code reading machines, the ribosome. There's so much evidence for intelligent design everywhere we look. The feedback cycles that keep the Earth's temperature roughly constant, all these sort of things. Um, in our biological systems, our immune system, the way our immune system works, our blood clotting system, all these things point to amazing intelligent design not random processes. We we see what random processes do. Random processes, you know, wreck um, computer programs. They wreck machines. You know, corrosion doesn't help build new machines. Corrosion, for example, it's a random process. It sort of wrecks machines. And so the evidence for a super mind that designed all these things is there. And what the Bible tells us is the super mind made us to interact with the super mind. And there are so many testimonies around the world. There are probably millions of testimonies of people who have prayed to God and had interaction with God and answers to prayer, being led, being led to do things that have helped people, make discoveries and, and so forth. Um, and when we 
you know, think about uh, these uh, when we, you know, think think about these things and this growth of secularism uh, turning away from God. It it really concerns me because the same Bible and those same people that had those rich experiences with Jesus and with with God point to the fact that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. This life isn't all there is. Some people have their lives cut off short. We have children that are dying from cancer. And uh, or in, in terrible accidents and and so forth. Um, we weren't meant to die, and there's going to be a resurrection. But the interesting thing is that there's a resurrection of those who believe in God, accepted Jesus as their saviour for all the uh, wrongdoing that they've done and have accepted God's forgiveness for their wrongdoing that they've done, and there's those that have ignored it, rebelled against God. They're going to be resurrected as well to see that in actual fact there was a God and God work was trying to work in their lives. And that's why I have this program to get this message out there that it's so important now while we're alive to make this decision um, to come back to God, to come back to the creator of the universe of life on earth and get to know his love. And the Bible is powerful historical evidence out of all the different religious books that there are around that the biblical account best fits the reality that we live in and the reliability of the the witnesses, in in my opinion, is uh, far superior to all the other religious texts that we have available to us to this day. And so, the again, this rise in secularism seems to parallel this rise in science. And we need to understand that, again, science is based on observations by humans. But one of the things that we really need to understand, and I spoke about this recently, is that this whole idea that the earth is is very old and this whole idea that science has established that the earth is very old. For example, the widely accepted age of the universe um, at the moment is about 13.77 billion years. It's interesting how they pin it down to that sort of order of accuracy and that the solar system, including earth, is about 4.543 billion years. But what we need to understand is that no scientific method can prove the age of the Earth and the universe. And um, in actual fact, there's growing evidence that the universe and the Earth is very young. And that's and and when we realise this, this again focuses in on the biblical account of the earth and the universe being about 6,000 years old. And people in their minds tend to scoff at that and they say, well, hang on, you know, the universe is billions of light years across, you know, how can it be that young? But when we look at the science, when we actually measure the science and look at the evidence that we actually can measure and know now, everything is pointing that those long ages just don't work. Those, and I've spoken, you know, in previous programs on... When we look at the evidence for the Big Bang and that's touted around and obviously the Big Bang calculations are behind this age of the universe uh, calculation. But we need to understand that there's actually no evidence to support the Big Bang theory. And people say, well, hang on, there's all these papers and, and so forth. Well, it was a very interesting article and I've referred to it previously that was published in Scientific American a few years ago that points out that, hang on, all the supposed evidence 
that has been put up has been where people have actually tweaked the figures to get the results that they needed to get. When we actually use the data to make some new prediction, it doesn't work. Um, and and there were, of course, when that paper came out in Scientific American, and, and as I said, I've spoken about this in previous episodes, you know, a lot of people, including Stephen, Stephen Hawking before he died, um, you know, objected to it. But the problem is they didn't have any evidence. They objected to it, but they didn't have any evidence to base their objections. And, you know, I was uh, just reminded recently that over 100 years ago, Lord Kelvin, who was, um, you know, a, a Christian, calculated that, you know, if the earth was formed by a molten blob, it should cool, you know, to its present temperature in less than, you know, 100 million years. Um, if it was really as old as um, as people want to claim, then the Earth should be much you know cooler. Um, and of course, when they discovered radioactivity, they sort of okay, well we can um, you know we can correct those figures. But even using the heat generated by radioactivity, we still don't get to um, the Earth's um, you know temperature. It would have cooled you know much. Uh, Earlier, and so there's a, a massive um, uh, paradox that we, when we look at um, the um, you know the the evidence uh, just around us that we can measure, just you know basic evidence, um, all points to a young Earth. And um, an article that caught my attention um, just recently is was uh, entitled Exploding Stars Point to a Young Universe. Where are all the supernova remnants? Uh, And it was written by Dr. Jonathan Safety. Now, of course, a supernova is a a violently exploding star, and it's one of the most brilliant objects that we see in the vast cosmos that God's created. Now, when we look at the data that we have out there, on average, in a galaxy like our Milky Way galaxy, uh, produce about one supernova every 25 years. Um, and so uh, when a, a star like this explodes in this way, there's a huge expanding cloud of debris formed that um, is uh, called a supernova remnant. And, um, you know, a classic example of this is the Crab Nuclear uh, Nebula, rather, in the uh, constellation of Taurus. And this um, nebula was actually produced by a supernova that was so bright that actually it was uh, observed during the daytime for a few weeks back in the year 1054. And by applying the laws of physics using our best computers... Astronomers can predict what should happen to this cloud. And according to their model, the uh, supernova remnant should reach a diameter of about 300 light years after 120,000 years. So if our galaxy was billions of years old, we should be able to observe many supernova remnants this size. But if our galaxy is only about 6,000 to 10,000 years old, no supernova remnants would have had time to have reached this size. So the number of observed supernova remnants of a particular size is an excellent test of whether the galaxy is old or young. In fact, 
the results that we actually observe are consistent with the universe only being thousands of years old. But they're actually a major puzzle and a problem if the universe has existed for billions of years. And so, for example, after if the, if the universe was billions of years old, we predict that we should see somewhere in the order of about 7,000 um, or 7,250 know, actually by calculation, 7,260 rather by calculation, um, uh, supernova remnants. But the actual number of supernova remnants, if it was only 7,000 years old, would be about um, 125, 127, something like that. And it's actually interesting that the actual number of supernova remnants that we actually observe is about just over 200. So the actual number that we observe is very close to the number that we would predict if the universe was only about um, six or 7,000 years old and a long way short of what we would predict if it was billions of years old. But it's interesting, not only that, predictions for the Milky Way satellite galaxy and the large Magellan cloud are also consistent with a young universe. So theory predicts about 340 observable supernova remnants if um, the large Magellan cloud were billions of years old and 24 if it was 7,000 years old and the actual number of observed supernova remnants is 29. And so uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, some evolutionary, uh, you know, evolutionist-believing astronomers say, why have the large number of expected remnants not been detectors? And so uh, that, uh, they published a paper uh, and referred to it as the mystery of the missing remnants. So here again, when we look at the astronomical data that we actually can go out and measure today, our best astronomical data, points to a young universe on a biblical time scale. Um, and again, this is something that just isn't getting out to our young people. You know, another thing that really um, is astounding, I think, and points very much to a young universe is that we observe changes in stars, in these giant stars, that are happening on our time scale. They're happening as if in the lifetime of, um, of human observers. They're, they're, ha they're happening on our time scale. They're not happening over millions of years. For example, the Sakuri object in Sagittarius, in 1994, this star was most likely a, a white dwarf in the centre of a planetary nebula. But by 1997, just three years later, it had grown to a bright yellow giant, about 80 times wider than the sun. And that was reported in Astronomy and Astrophysics, Volume 321, L17, in 1997. In 1998... It had expanded even further to a red supergiant, 150 times wider than the sun. 
But then it shrank just as quickly so that by 2002, the star itself was invisible even to the most powerful optical telescopes, even though it was detectable with, in the infrared. And um, there was an interesting article about that published in New Scientist back in 2003, um, page uh, volume 177, issue 238, number 2384, pages 28 to 31. So, again, the fact that these, um, you know, are changing in our sort of timescale so that we can observe it on these scales and huge changes um, in, in size, they're, they're happening on our timescale. Um, there's also the, the faint young sun paradox. So, again, according to stellar evolution, as the sun's core transforms from hydrogen to helium by means of nuclear fusion, the mean molecular weight increases, which would compress the sun's core, you know, due to gravitational attraction, increasing fusion rate. The upshot is that over several billion years, the sun ought to have brightened 40% since its formation and 25% since the appearance of life on Earth. Um, that means that this translates into a 16 to 18 degrees temperature increase on the Earth. Now, the current temperature is 15 degrees, average temperature on Earth, and so the Earth ought to have had a minus 2 or minus 3 or so temperature when life appeared. And uh, so that means the Earth would have been frozen. So you've got um, major problems um, and um, and as as a, even of um, in April two ten there was a an article published on this in Nature, um, and uh, remains a uh, problem. Have a look at um, the volume of Nature four sixty four, uh, pages six eighty seven to six eighty nine on the first of April two ten. So this faint um, uh, issue of the faint young sun remains a you know a major. Uh, problem. So again, when we look at these issues, um, it all points to the creation of uh, the Earth as we, you know, un un understand it. Another major problem for um, understanding the age of the universe is that when we look at the most distant star clusters and, and, and uh, galaxies, we would expect them to show, um, you know, the galaxies forming. But instead we find developed spiral structures, for example. So if these way distant uh, objects, which are, uh, you know, billions of light years old and therefore they're supposed to have formed, you know, just after the Big Bang, how are they so well developed? How are they so or already have these these structures? And so this is a major major problem for again from the for the Big Bang uh, model. So we have all these evidences when we even look at the universe for these very uh, young age for the universe, and that was created as a functioning system, already there, functioning, fully formed. 
Other powerful evidence that the Earth is really quite young, only thousands of years old, is um, the decay of the Earth's magnetic field. And I have talked about this uh, uh, before, and there's a really excellent article on this um, on the uh, creation.com website. So if you just Google creation.com and um, enter in the search engine decay of the Earth's magnetic field. Another really excellent article, um, again, by... um, I think it's by uh, Jonathan Safati. But it talks about the... We've got very accurate measurements of uh, the decay of the Earth's magnetic field. Um, But we also have discovered that there are very rapid reversals of the Earth's magnetic field have occurred, and they've occurred over a very short period of time, um, like weeks. And this has been a major problem for uh, uh, geologists, but it powerfully fits the flood model for um, the destruction of the surface of the Earth. And with the movement of the continents, subduction of plates, causing um, a change in cooling patterns within the, uh, the, the molten core, which is believed to be responsible uh, for the Earth's magnetic field, and the change in the cooling areas causing reversals. And there's a model that has been put up uh, by uh, Dr. Russell Humphreys um, that um, uh, fits very well, a creationist model that fits very well the observations. And we've got very good data, of course, now that the uh, Earth's magnetic field is following exponential decay with a time constant of 1,611 years, plus or minus 10. And, of course, um, there's also the Earth's magnetic field, or the, sorry, the magnetic fields in other planets in our solar system also points to the fact that these planets are young. Um, and also a fascinating discovery that um, the moon uh, once had a very, very strong magnetic field too, stronger than that on Earth. So... These evidences all point to the young Earth creation model. And so when we consider the overall evidence from science that fits the biblical account, we need to bear in mind that while we're being, you know, uh, all the time getting all these messages about old Earth and old universe and all this sort of thing in the popular media, in our science and education system, when we look at the real data, it points to a young Earth that was created as a vibrant, functioning system uh, for us to enjoy and for us uh, and to be inhabited by us. You've been listening to Faith and Science, and you want to re-listen to these programs. Um, remember, you can Google 3ABN Australia. That's all one word. dot org. and click on the radio button and on the listen button. Remember also too, there's the um, creation uh, website, uh, creation.com, which has some excellent articles that you can use in the search engine. And there's also my book, In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation, um, which is... um, 
readily available in bookshops and, and libraries as well. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.